Awesome. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so excited uh, to continue our church and learning uh, about what God is trying to teach us through Ephesians. Um, as we saw last week, we, it was just amazing the things that we saw last week in the first chapter of Ephesians, the very first part where we talked about God's plan from the very beginning to, sh- to reveal to us the salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. The fact that he has given us an inheritance in him and the fact that salvation is made available through him, not by your doing, not by my doing, but all by his wealthy and glorious grace that he's willingly giving. And so just to continue on that today, I am so excited. So this morning you can see the title of today's message is Designed in Riches, Designed in Riches. And so if you have your guides, you can turn to page 10, that's where you can um, make notes um, for today. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 15 through 23. Um, and it's just going to be a great day. And to be honest, I am so excited about it that I just, I kind of just want to dive right in. But there's a couple of things I want you to look at on the screen really quick that we can refresh ourselves and remember. Um, just three important things, three main main points, right? First, we see the person of Paul, right? So Paul is the author of this letter to the church of Ephesus. And the three things that we know and that we saw, oh, there's the light. All right. The three things that we know and that we saw from last week is what? Paul's a converted, a converted Jew. We see that through, uh, the, through the New Testament. He references back to his time that, that he was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of the people that followed after the way of Jesus. Until one day he was traveling to persecute more Christians, right? And Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And after that time, Paul became a follower of Jesus. And not just a a follower of Jesus, but really a radical leader in the church, an apostle of Jesus. And in that apostleship, he brings people to know Jesus from everywhere. He becomes a missionary and a church planner into all these different cities all over the place. You can see where Paul has traveled to in all his missionary journeys. So Paul becomes this great polarizing figure in the New Testament. He becomes this great polarizing figure in the early church. The second thing that we must know before we can get started, just as a reminder, is the purposes of Paul. You see, he had these purposes of missionary journeys. He wanted all people everywhere to know about the greatness and the lordship of Christ. He wanted them to know about the, the saving power that it was made available through Christ. He also desired for people to be encouraged that were part of the local body. He often wrote to so many people just encouraging them to keep the faith, be steadfast, do these things, remember the great gift that you have in Jesus. And the last thing that he would, his purpose was this, he, he purposed himself to teach the church. In these letters or in these visits, he never backed down from saying, listen, you need to walk in this way. You need to be taught this way. He always took up the mantle to teach the church in a way that he, that he felt that Christ desired for him to teach. Centered on the truth of the gospel. Centered on the understanding of what the gospel is about. And so those three things, his journeys, his encouragement, and his teaching. And the proclamation of Paul is where we see most rooted in Ephesians what he's saying. We see this, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is Paul's 
If you ran into Paul today, this is what he would say, that God has the power to save you. God has, God has redeemed you through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the death and the resurrection of his son. And you have power unto salvation for all who believe. He also taught in this way, he taught of the supremacy of Christ. He taught of Christ's lordship as a center, an important piece of understanding the Christian life. That we can live in freedom, but that freedom is ultimately submitted to the lordship of Christ in our life. Because of he's willing and worthy of everything because of what he has done in our lives. And the last thing is the priority for holiness in the church. These are three things that he, that he prioritized everywhere that he spoke. All the letters that, that he made, he, he made these things a priority. And we see the reason is because he wanted people to understand the gravity of what it was like to follow after Jesus. Why it was important to follow after Jesus. And why it was necessary to make him Lord over their lives. And so as we get started, you need to know those things so that you have a kind of a context of where Paul is going and what he is saying. So we begin in verse 15. It should be on the screen. And basically, we pick up right where we left off last week. We talked about all these things. Usually in a lot of Paul's book, he will begin in a, in a greeting, a really, uh, almost in all of his letters, he has some sort of formal greeting that he, he tells the church. I find it really interesting in Ephesians, Paul is almost so excited to write this letter to the church that he doesn't get to the greeting really till verse 15. And so, you know, if you look at verse 3 through 14, like Paul has all these things that he just wants to proclaim and say, and then all of a sudden he gets to 15 and he's like, oh, by the way, like, I love you and I care for you and I'm praying for you. You see this, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. One thing that we can learn from Paul, and I think it's really important, I think sometimes I look over these small little greetings and I think that's just filler for the rest of the book. I could just skip over that and I could, I could go to the important stuff. But one thing that you need to see is that this is extremely important. It shows where Paul's heart is for the people in Ephesus. You see Paul truly caring and remembering people and encouraging them with his life. If in your life, your Christian walk, like these aren't things or a part of your walk, this, this point of encouragement towards others in the church, this point of like prayer towards others in the church isn't a part of your life, I think there's a, a good reason we need to evaluate that, right? Look at Paul. There, there's a reason that he begins these books like this, that he says, listen, I am praying for you. I care for you. I desire for you to remember the goodness of the Lord. He's pouring his heart out to these people because he loves these people. The same should be said for us in the way that we treat one another in the church, for the way that we handle one another uh, as everyone is dealing with struggles or, or with sin or people are just having a difficult go of things. The first place I should be able to run and you should be able to run is into the, the lives of the people in the church. And the first thing that those people should do is open their arms and welcome each of us and say, remember the goodness of the Lord. Do not, I don't, I don't cease to give thanks to you for what the Lord is doing. Don't forget 
the goodness of what the Lord has done. And so he begins, he starts there, but he definitely doesn't finish there. If we keep going in verse 17, you see this. And this is the real meat, I think, of this passage. It says, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? That's one of those classic Pauline sentences, right? It begins at this place and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I got this, I got this. And midway down, you're like, I, I, I'm still reading, but I have no clue what I'm, what I'm reading. And you got to start all over again. And so we're going to break this down, and I think this is the really crux of what we're going to talk about today, and I think it's really important. There are some, I think, three main things that, that Paul is saying within this that we can really grasp and understand. But it leads us to our core truth today, and I want you to write this down, and we're going to unpack it the rest of the time. We can know hope, inheritance, and power beyond compare from God given to us given and revealed to us in Jesus. I'll say it again. We can know hope, inheritance, and power beyond compare from God, given and revealed to us in Jesus. The first thing that we see there, if we go back to, uh, if you go on to the next slide, we see the, the highlighted place that you may know what is the hope, right? What is the hope to which he has called you? In the first part of this section of verses, we see a couple of things. We see that the, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom. He, he uses a really unique phrase here, and I think we use it in the church a lot. Uh, we use a phrase that um, is thrown around a lot, but I don't think a lot of us understand exactly what he's saying. This phrase is having the eyes of your hearts opened. Now, I don't know about you, but... I don't know how in the world to open the eyes of my heart, right? Like, if you were to ask me, Jordan, how in the world do I open the eye of my heart? I would say, well, I think you need to go back to anatomy because you got a couple of things mixed up in, you know, as far as what you're, you're trying to figure out. But we sing songs that, that talk about this phrase, and we, and we talk about this phrase in, in small groups and trying to see better see the Lord. But really... And truly what Paul is saying here, if we look back, it says the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, almost so that the eyes of your heart may be open. It all, it's the same as what we talked about last week. Everything that we know and can know about God, God has given us the ability to know, right? We are incapable of doing it on our own. If you were to sit around and say, you know what, for the next 20 years, I'm going to work to open the eyes of my heart. Like, it's not going to happen. What is going to happen is you saying, God, I surrender to you. You've given me everything I've ever needed. So God, help me to see you in a way that you truly need to be seen. And it's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit 
that opens up our eyes. Does that make sense? It opens up our eyes so that we can truly see God. Now, why do we need to truly see God? Well, that's where we're going to land today. The first thing is that you may know hope. That you may know hope to which he has called you. We were in New Orleans Thursday and Friday, and uh, on the way back, on the way to the airport to come back, we um, got an Uber car. Who's ever ridden in an Uber? That's like the coolest thing ever. I, I think it is. Like, I think I want to be a Saturday Uber driver. Um, I think that would be awesome. But anyway, we, we got picked up by this guy that used to be an architect, and because of um, the economy and stuff, he's kind of had to get creative in what he's doing. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was so funny because I, th- I feel like the whole weekend between Barrett and I, when we meet new people, it's almost a it's it's almost a competition to see who can connect gospel truth to like conversations first, right? It's really funny. And so, all of a sudden, Barrett gets in the car and he's got a the guy's got a picture of his son in the car, and Barrett goes, "Oh, do you have a, a child?" And I was like, "He's doing it already. I know exactly what he's doing." And uh, and the guy said, yeah, I have a, I have a child. Um, you know, he's three months old, and they were talking about that. And, and the guy said this. He said, uh, man, that is just, it's crazy. I, I don't think something like that can come for me. That is, a, that is a miracle. And I just looked at Barrett like, here we go. <laughs> Barrett's like, yeah, it is a miracle. It's really proof that, you know, God exists, that he, that he truly cares for us. And I was like, man, if only I had a kid, like I could have said those things, but... <laughs> You know, I don't have a kid. I can't, I can't insert myself into that conversation. But later on in the conversation, we were talking about something really interesting. We were talking about um, prayer and, the, and the, kind of the power of prayer. And this guy's views were really interesting. So as we were talking, he compared it to a study that he had, he had seen about a lottery ticket, right? Once the lottery gets above about $100 million, right, um, people will go buy lottery tickets, knowing they probably won't, won't win, but they buy them anyway, right? And then for the rest of the time until the lottery numbers are announced, they sit around in their, on their couches or at their kitchen table and say, what are we going to do with this money if we get it, right? And they begin to think about life. And, and it, what he was saying is it puts them in a positive perspective of life, and that's, that's what he feels is like prayer. It puts you in a positive place interesting, but wrong, you know, like it was interesting, but it was wrong. And I think sometimes when we throw around the word hope, that's what people think of a hope like that, that just makes things a little bit better or, or helps you cope. Like that's incorrect. in looking at this passage, the hope that God talks about here, that Paul writes about is not a hope that's a hope that's represented by throwing a penny in a wishing well. It's a hope that's manifested and fleshed out in Jesus Christ. And it's a hope that has proven itself true by Jesus. And it's a hope not just in things to come, but in things that have already happened. Many, many people will sit around with a lottery ticket waiting for the lottery to happen, but the truth is we already have the winning numbers. The hope that we have is in something that's already happened and something that is going to be fulfilled in the end. It's not a blind hope. It's not a hope that's, that's based upon nothing. 
It's a hope that's based upon the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which we know is true. And so we can look confidently towards the future and say, God, I know you are going to fulfill your promises to me. I can place all my hope in you because you've already done it. And I'm just going to wait with you till it comes to full fruition. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that God desires for us to hold on to with all that we have. The next thing that we see is that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you ever, you ever wish you had a really awesome benefactor? I know I do. I, I talk to Audrey all the time thinking like, if only I had this like super rich uncle that really liked me and like he just, and then he died and I didn't really know him so it wasn't a big deal, but then he left all his money. That'd be awesome. You know, that would be so cool, right? But this idea of inheritance that we, that we can have something that really we don't even deserve, that we've done nothing to get. It's an inheritance that's been given freely to us by his choice, not by ours. There's, there's nothing that we could have done to ask for it and gain it. It's an inheritance that's given. One of my favorite Old Testament stories, absolute favorite, is found in 2 Samuel. It's in chapter 9. And it's a story about David. And David is looking to find someone that he can really bless, to, to pour out favor and grace upon. This is all after Saul has tried to kill David. Saul's now out of the picture. Um, you know, David is just trying to find a way to reconnect, I think, almost with the family of Jonathan, to show respect to the friendship that he and Jonathan had. And so he basically asks someone in his, in his government, he says, is there any living relative left in the family of Jonathan? And there's a guy that says, yeah, there's, there's a guy. His name is Mephibosheth. And so what we learn about Mephibosheth is he, he lives in a faraway place. And he is crippled. And so basically David's men go and find Mephibosheth and bring him to David, right? Now can you imagine this, being Mephibosheth? All of a sudden your whole life, you know what Saul has done to David. You understand the difficulties there. You realize that you're a family of that. And in that time, if you are an heir of those things, watch out, like run away because you're going to get hunted down, right? You're going to get hunted down to, to clean, clear that line. And so all of a sudden, these guys show up at Mephibosheth's door and they bring him to David. Can you imagine the thoughts going through his mind? He's probably thinking, well, it's been a good run, like... I've tried my hardest to hide from King David, but like today's the day of judgment, right? And so they bring Mephibosheth before David. And what David says is this, from now on, you will eat at my table. You will wear my clothes. You will live in my house. Nothing that Mephibosheth did deserved that. He didn't earn it. He couldn't. But David chose to lavish grace and mercy upon him. He chose to give him 
something that he could never buy or purchase on his own. The same is true here in Ephesians. We see the great riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. We are blessed. We are, we are called sons and daughters of a king who had no, absolutely no reason to call us sons or daughters. There are a lot of things that I'll understand. There are a lot of things that I'll learn throughout my life. And there's a lot of things that I've learned through learning and education and biblical understanding. But the one thing that I will never understand is why in the world, God, you would give up all these things so that you could have me. Why? Why? Why in the world would God do that? It's because God chooses to do that in his goodness. Lastly, we see um, that we can know what is the immeasurable greatness and the power of his power towards us who believe. You see, we can know this greatness and his power towards us who believe. That greatness of power, it's shown in Jesus, and we'll get to that because the rest of this chapter kind of deals with that. But we can know this greatness of his power through the things that he's already done and through the things that he will do. But through the things that, just look at your own life. I I tell everyone all the time, there are a lot of things that I cannot answer, but the one thing that I can is before I came to know the Lord, I was one way. And once I made a decision to follow the Lord and give my life to him, I am a completely different way. God has a transforming power that I cannot explain. And it is proof It is proof of God's power in your life. There is no reason that the desires you had before you came to know the Lord all of a sudden are overwhelmed by the desire to follow after the Lord. There's no reason for that other than the fact that the Holy Spirit that God has placed inside of you has commanded you to live a life worthy and honoring to the Lord. And that now envelops all that you are. You are no longer the same. You are a new creation. And because of that, the old has gone and the new has come. And you can't explain it, but it points to the wonderful and the great power of God more than anything else. So one thing that you need to see is that we can know hope, inheritance, and power beyond compare. And this specific set of verses deals with that it's been given by God in Jesus. If we go on, you see this in a more detailed list. And I think it's really interesting to look at it this way. Not only have we been given hope, right? I mean, if someone who's hopeful is giving hope, then that's, that's good. But guess what? We were hopeless, and we have been given hope. Right? We were hopeless, and we have been given hope. Romans 5 basically tells us that we can trust in a hope that will not disappoint us. It's a trust... That, that we can build upon. It's a hope that we can rest everything in because we won't be disappointed in what God has truly given us in that hope. The second thing we can know is that God has given us inheritance while we were bankrupt, right? While we were bankrupt, while we had nothing, we had no assets, we had nothing to our name. We were absolutely and completely spiritually bankrupt, And he has offered us inheritance. He has given us the riches of his glorious inheritance, grace, and peace. 
communion with him forever, eternal life. He has given us these things so that we could know who he is, truly know. Titus 3, 7 basically says we are justified by grace and we are now heirs of eternal life. We see earlier in Ephesians 1, this is talked about through the whole first chapter, the idea that this was God's plan from the beginning so that we could know the inheritance he's laid out for us, so that we could be counted as righteous, so that we could be a part of what he is doing for all eternity. And lastly, we see that God has given power to us in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 basically is, is Paul saying that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. The very power of grace, that, that God's grace is efficient for us. And in our weakness, his power is made perfect because it fills the gap from things that we could not do, that we are made whole through the power of God. We see Romans 1.16, I've already mentioned it, but basically that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Do you see these things? Paul is saying confidently, like, don't just see these things, know these things. Place your utter and, and absolute dependence upon these things that you can know hope. You can know that you can know inheritance. Truly, you can know it. You can, you can feel it. You can grasp it. That you can know the power of God in your life. Why? Because he has given it to us. He has given us the ability to know him and know these things. As we go on, we see a, a kind of a paradigm shift uh, that's really interesting. Um, if you look on... Um, 20 through 23, it says this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him a head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. He worked these things in Christ before we were ever on the scene. These things have been worked out in Christ. And we see it here as we break this down. If you go to the next slide, there are basically three points and I want you to see them. And we'll go back to these verses so that we can really know them. But Jesus' resurrection reveals to us that we can know hope through God, right? What does it say in verse 20? It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, right? We can know hope because this has already happened. The power of God has already been displayed in the fact that Jesus Christ overcame death and rose to life and now has been seated on the throne of God at God's right hand. We can know hope. This idea of hoping in God, it's not like it started today. It's something that's already happened. This hope that we have has been proven in Jesus as the prime example. If we were in a courtroom and we were trying to prove this theory, 
we would call Jesus up and say, testify to the hope of God. And what he would say is, death has been defeated. Hell has been overcome. And God's righteousness reigns forever. These things have already occurred. And God reveals them to us. He gives them to us, but he assures us of them by us looking to Jesus. We can know hope because we're not waiting for a Messiah. We have a Messiah. We have a Messiah who has already overcame death. And we are just waiting on his return. And we can have confidence in his return because we, we saw the beginning. We saw his life and his death and his resurrection through scripture and through the understanding of that. You can have hope. You can know hope. Next, Jesus, Jesus is standing reveals a glimpse of a promised inheritance from God. You pick up in uh, verse, uh, I think, 21, it says, um, He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. A really crazy thought is, to me, that Jesus' standing is our standing. That's crazy. Jesus, who did all the work to provide salvation for those who believe, for those who believe can now ride, really ride the coattails of Jesus into eternity and be seated at the right hand of God with Jesus in communion with him forever. And you did absolutely nothing. That's crazy. But we can know of that inheritance. Why? We know that that's where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand, full of righteousness. Above all else. That's where you will be. Understanding and seeing that as a full picture. Worshiping him above all others. Because no one is as great as he is. High and lifted up. Do you see that? He gives us that inheritance, which we never, ever, ever deserved. And he has just given it to us so that we could know inheritance. So that we could know what it's like to be with him forever. In community and communion with him. The thing that I always say, the thing, the difference between heaven and hell for me... I. Everyone talks about the pictures, the brutal pictures of, of what hell will be like. The thing that scares me the most about hell is the, the understanding that knowing in hell that I will never be able to commune with God, ever. I will be forever isolated from God who loves me and cares for me and provides for me. That's hell. That is hell. And you look at that and you think, I don't, I don't want that. I don't desire that. God, I want to be where you are. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. You've done everything I could ever need or ask or want and more. So God, like, take this life, this puny little life that I have. Because in comparison to you, it's nothing. 
and yet you laid it all down so that so that you could have me it's a it's a crazy thing i'll never understand it logically ever but you know what i can know it i may not understand it but i can know it i can know that god has given me this inheritance lastly we see that jesus's lordship reveals the power of god over all things. What does Paul finish this set of verses with? He says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that awesome? Like the God that we serve, everything is under his feet. He is using everything as a a footrest. That's crazy. That is amazing that the God that that loves you and cares for you, that desires to be in a relationship personally and individually with you, is the same God that is high and lifted up over all things. He is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He's the Messiah. He is all those things, and yet he desires a relationship with you. He desires that you can know hope and no inheritance from him, right? You feel a little bit like Mephibosheth, right? Like, God, what have I done? Like, I don't deserve this. Like, I don't deserve to eat at your table, right? I should be on the menu, right? I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't need to be at the table. I I'm, I'm should be the one that's being eaten, right? Like, but God said, no, come to the table. You're invited in. And not just for now, but for always. That's crazy to me. But I'm so thankful that we can know and have confidence in that because of what God has done. He is Lord over all. And all those in our world, it may not seem like that. It may seem like things are spinning out of control. I'm telling you, there will be a day confidently knowing that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm confident in that day. I'm confident that that day is coming. The truth is, today can be that day for anyone in this place. You can know that hope brought by Jesus. You can know of the inheritance that he has. You can know of God's power unto salvation. And so as we close, I'm going to invite Robbie to... Um, come up and just a, I just want you to enter into a time of really reflection. You can know hope. You can know inheritance. You can know power beyond compare. It's given by God. It's from God. It's given and it's revealed in Jesus. You can know those things. So as you begin to pray and reflect, here's some things I want you to ask. Did you know that God has given us exactly what we need to know him? He's given you hope. He's given you inheritance. He's given you power. His table is wide open for you. Did you know that today you can receive that? Today is the day that you can have that. We know that all you have to do is believe to place your faith upon the Lord Jesus. 
understand his lordship over your life. Submit your life to him in repentance and follow after him with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. We know that. You can know God. Truly, you can know him. Secondly, remember this. God has proven everything he needs to prove in Jesus. Every question you have, every doubt you had, well, well, God doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I've done. God doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand where my heart is. He doesn't understand that I have no understanding of him. He understands. We serve a Messiah. We serve a, a high king who's been in our place. He has lived life just like you and I. His feet have touched the ground. He understands. He knows. We serve a high priest who who knows those things, who knows your heart, and he accepts you anyway. Come to him. Run to him. The God of all the universe, high and lifted up, cares for you. And he wants you to know him. Know him in a way that a relationship that is real, that is active, a relationship that provides hope, lets you understand that he has called you his son, his child, his daughter. He has invited you to the table to, to eat of the feast that only he could provide, the feast of eternal life and approval from him. He wants you to know the power of of his Holy Spirit. He wants you to know the power that is right at your hands if only you accept, that can transform your life and make it him Lord over all that's in you. The time is yours. I'm gonna be up here and if you need to pray, you're welcome to come up here. Just find a spot in this auditorium just to spend some time in prayer and think about if you truly know hope, inheritance, and power. Or if you've only played around and said, you know what, maybe that's true. Today's the day that you can know those things. Why? Because God has proven himself over and over and over again in Jesus. This is